The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. EJ, I know you're going to disagree with me on this. You're sure of it. Browns could be the best team in the AFC. You're right. I disagree. There's a lot of reasons why, and we will get into that. There's a lot of uh, personnel subtractions and additions that make me think that. Uh, There are some schematic things that make me think that. There are some coaching and front office things that make me think that. We're going to be diving into every aspect of the 2023 Browns. I kid you not, they could be the best team in the AFC. Will they likely be the best team in the AFC? That's up for debate. But they could be. All the pieces are there. So, with that being said, Jay, roll the intro. Welcome, one and all, to the Bootleg Football Podcast. We are in week two of our team-by-team off-season series where we uh, we take an hour or so, sometimes longer, <laughs> do a deep dive into every single team in the league, where they stand going into 2023, recap a little bit of 2022, talk about changes, ideally improvements that have been made, uh, and in the Browns' case, defend the position that they could be the snake in the grass in arguably the most loaded AFC that we've seen in quite some time. Before we get into all that, though, EJ, how you doing? I'm good. I'm excited. We're in week two. Uh, we got six more to go after this. I won't bring that up, but um, I think the first week went great, and I think the second week's going to go even better because this is a street fight division every year. Oh, AFC yeah. North just pounds the living snot out of each other every single season. And and I don't think that's going to be any different this season. Uh, but this is, we get to start with a team that didn't do as well last year for a bunch of reasons we'll get into. And I think can do better this year. That's always exciting. And, you know, I don't know that I push that bar quite as far as you uh, are willing to, but it makes it an exciting team to talk about. And I think Browns fans are probably thirsty for that. Reminder. Quickly, before we get going here, our wonderful partner, Underdog Fantasy, made this whole series possible uh, in terms of being able to afford to fly EJ down (laughs) and do the whole multi-cam setup in all these different areas. Uh, We we wouldn't be able to do it without Underdog. Uh, They they have come on and, and, you know, funded the show for a couple years, just said, do what you do. And uh, we took that baton and ran with it. Obviously, if you use promo code bootleg over Underdog Fantasy, they'll match your deposit up to $100 could be anything from you know 10 up to 100 they'll, they'll double it use it on anything you want whether it's the best ball mania four you know try to get 
part of that 15 million in prize pool. You're doing pickums during the season. All the other sports that are going, they got stuff for literally everything, like even esports. So, uh, Underdog Fantasy, thank you for supporting the show, and uh, thank you to our wonderful audience that supports Underdog. But with that, EJ. Let's talk a little bit of 2022 to give context for what we think is going to change for 2023 because 2022 was, uh, there's really no other way to say it, a lost year for Cleveland. It didn't go as planned, that's for sure. So the Browns in 2022, overall 7-10, and 10, not a terrible record in a lot of other divisions, but landed them fourth in their own division. Again, a street fight every year. Home record, 4-4. Four and four. Road record, 3-6. and six. In the last five games, they stumbled a little bit, two and three, sort of um, <laughs> rolled to the finish more than sprinted. And, you know, they ended up as a team in the middle, which is where I think a lot of fans would have put them last year, which was obviously below their expectations. A lot of fan bases are in that boat, but they certainly didn't play up to their talent. One of the things we're doing this year with all these team summaries is an effectiveness summary, and we wanted to come up with a bunch of numbers that basically kind of tell us whether or not a football team is good at being a football team. And we use EPA per play as our base metric for that. We divide it into offense and defense. We split offense into rushing and passing offense. We split defense into defending the run and defending against the pass. And then, of course, you have to score points to win in football. So scoring and points allowed. We end up with six numbers and we give it their league rank where that team fell compared to their peers. And for the Browns, the rushing offense was the good news. Not a surprise with the Kevin Stefanski offense and and Nick Chubb as your halfback. Sixth in the league in rushing. Very solid mark. Place that Browns fans are very used to being. Top 10 in rushing. After that, it gets a little bit dicey. Passing offense, they were 20th. Starting to get towards the bottom third of the league. Rushing defense, 30th. Now, you don't have to be a great rushing defense to win in the NFL these days. If you're top 15, you're fine. If you're top 20, it's okay. Just don't be ass. That's all all you need. Just don't be horrible. Stay out of the basement. Browns (laughs) couldn't do it. Um, You know, third from last in the league at 30th. Pass defense, 12th. So good against the pass. In the modern NFL, that's a very good stat to have. But if you can't get off the field because teams can run you over, you're in big trouble. Points scored. They scored 361 points. That was good for 18th. Again, midline, not terrible. Um, They allowed 381. That was good for 20th. Again, not awful. Um, Lots of teams had greater win totals with a lesser scoring defense. Points differential, it was negative 20 overall. That, again, put them right down the middle, 18th. Um, If we take all those numbers We add them together and divide by six. We get the bootleg power score, which gives us an idea of how this team ranked against their peer teams overall in terms of those primary six categories, which we think are really important and good indicators of how good they are at playing football. Uh, Bootleg power score in raw for the Browns was 17.6. That rounds up to 18th. Again, mid-pack, not surprising if you watch the Browns on tape. Uh, We will be stacking all those bootleg power scores within their own divisions and then at the end of the series against all the other teams so we can kind of see how they line up. But the Browns average their record, average. I think their talent was better than average, but in the end result, on the field, a lot of categories besides rushing defense or rushing the football, they came in right down the middle. 
There are some areas on this roster, and this was both true last year and, and even more so this year, that have the bones to be elite. I mean, obviously their offensive line's elite, their backfield's elite. Uh, that's why their they're rushing offense every single year is always really good. But what people don't realize is the pass defense, and this was reflected a little bit in the APA, they were 12th in that, pass defense, in particular the secondary, mm-hmm. is loaded. Like, obviously Denzel Ward, great. But people that didn't watch Cleveland last year, and I know you watched a lot of Martin Emerson because you loved Emerson coming out. Indeed. I wasn't as high on him as you were, but seeing Emerson in the pros, he blew me away. He was phenomenal yeah. as a rookie. And then you also have Greg Newsome. You know, you're bringing in Juan Thornhill. Grant Delpit, you and I have both been big believers in him. Ideally, he's going to stay healthy. Um that secondary is crazy, and it's behind a pass rush that's led by Miles Garrett and Zedarius Smith. When Z's healthy, he's awesome. You know, they brought in Dalvin Tomlinson to try to help against the run defense. You guys, or we have both been big JOK fans since he got in the league. This defense should be even better than it was last year. It was good against the pass, terrible against the run. I think they're going to be at least average against the run and fucking crazy against the pass. And that by itself is going to help this team be better what everything hinges on though is is Deshaun Watson better because mm. that 20th and past EPA kind of dropped them down a bit now not all of that was on Deshaun because he didn't play for most of the year but when Deshaun came back he wasn't even as effective as Brissett was so it it kind of was on him also at the same time if he's not better this year which who knows if he will be right he's very limited action for like two years now if he's not better this year, I think it will spoil what is otherwise an absolutely absurd roster. And that's why I think they could be the best team in the conference. But it all relies on their quarterback play playing up to the amount of money that they've sunk into it. Yeah, that secondary, you let off with that. And they've invested a lot, right? A lot of those guys you named uh, were high draft picks. You know, Thornhill coming in, they invested a good amount of money in him and a free agent. Like, they, they definitely place a priority on the defensive backfield. And again, you mentioned some of the pass rushers they have up front. They've placed a priority there too. That comes out in that good grade against the pass. But if a team can rip off four or five, six yards every time they rush the ball, yeah, you're not going to get to showcase all that arsenal that you've assembled. And then, you know, you know they're going to run the ball. They've, they've had a loaded running back room, one of the deepest in the league for years and years. Some changes there. We'll talk about that, but nothing changed at the top. Nick Chubb is still there. I think probably overall the best running back in the NFL. And the offensive line has been an absolute stalwart for years. Those are things you can count on, but you got to throw the ball. <laughs> you got to throw the ball. You got to throw it well. And they have tools to do it, right? They have a wide receiver room that's good. They've got an explosive tight end. They've got a quarterback who has exhibited star traits in the past, but it's starting to be a while ago now. Mm-hmm. And we need to see that piece come together. And if it doesn't, they're not going to achieve that lofty status. You're saying they can. Um, the pieces are all there. They got to work together. That's every NFL team every year, right? One piece has to support the other. And if all the other pieces work, but Deshaun Watson doesn't play well, they're going to be maybe slightly better than they were. Uh, but again, in that division and winning your division is key to winning the rest of the year. They're not maybe even going to make the playoffs. When you look at uh, 
the coverage breakdown, and we put these together for every single team. Kind of going back to the defense and the rushing defense a little bit here. Defensive coverages between the 20-yard lines, so we're taking the, the red zone out here because the red zone's different. They were really, really heavy in cover three. They were 10th in calling cover three, but they were also ninth in calling quarters. Mm-hmm. That's not typically something that you see packaged together. What that tells me is that they wanted to be a heavy quarters team like they were a couple of years ago, but they had to play a lot more cover three because they couldn't stop the run. Yeah. And especially they couldn't stop the run from quarters. What I would expect based on the investments made in the interior defensive line, keep in mind the interior defensive rotation in like the middle of the year last year was Jordan Elliott, Taven Bryan, Perrion Winfrey, and Tommy Togiai. It's a bunch of three techniques. Mm-hmm. They didn't really have any true noses halfway through the year. Now, you know, they bring in Dalvin Tomlinson, they draft Siaki Ika. They finally have the beef inside to actually be able to play a bunch of quarters and still stop the run. I think that's also why they brought in Zadarius Smith is because they want to have these big, hulking, stand-up edges that if we're playing quarters in nickel, which, again, is that's their comfort zone. That's where they want to be. You can have somebody who can set the edge or rock a tight end and then shoot inside and spill everything out and have the safeties come up and tackle. Like That's what they want to do. Um, it's... I don't want to call it a Vic Fangio defense, but like it's there's some influences hmm. there in terms of how they want to be able to structure uh, everything they do on the back end, which then determines everything they do on the front end. I do think their run defense is going to be better this year just because they have the horses to run the type of style they want to run. Now, it's predicated on staying healthy, but if everybody's healthy, I cannot imagine they're going to be like 30th again. It's... There's almost too much beef there for me to think that. When you look at the personnel they they brought in, again, this is why we do this. We're trying to tie these numbers together and give context. It's not just about the result. It's about how they achieve the result and the coverages. And then they see these numbers, too. They knew they were ass against the run. You know, they they bring in Dalvin Thomas and they draft Siaki Ika. Those are, those are direct results of them saying, this was one of our Achilles heels. We're going to plug that hole like we have to do something to be better there so that, you know, the rising tide can lift all boats on defense. But it starts with that dirty work on the edge. You talked about Darius. It brings me right back to our conversation with Matt Bowen when he was on the podcast pre NFL draft. And he said, you got to have that guy. You got to have that heavy end that can do the dirty work and set the edge. And if you can't set an edge, he said, I don't care what level you're at. I don't care if it's high school or college or pros. It's going to be a long day. And the Browns had a lot of long days last year. Looking at their past defense as well, up front, I'm not talking about the secondary, but up front, their blitz percentage. I think that also kind of represented what they want to be, which is a team that can win in the trenches. Uh, they didn't really blitz a whole lot in third and medium. And third and medium is the most common third down you're going to get, anywhere between third and three to third and six. Third and seven, they were only average in blitz rate, but third and medium, they were 30th. They want to be able to, again, when they're in nickel, Mm -hmm. they want to be able to sit back there in some variation of quarters, and there's a million different ways to play quarters, and they want to be able to rush with four and say Z and Miles and Dalvin and... See, all these guys, right? Go hunt and win. 
Now, they called a lot of stunts. They were 12th in calling stunts because they want to win with four. Those two numbers kind of match up and, and fit well together. They don't want to be a blitz-heavy team. They want to cover and have their guys go get it. And even more than last year, I think they also have the ability to do that. Yeah, they want to they want to showcase those guys up front. They don't want to. Now, I'm not saying they won't try and scheme Miles Garrett into one on ones. Yeah, they'll do it a little bit. Who wouldn't? Yeah, uh, yeah. But they don't want to have to bring an extra guy regularly to create pressure. They want to have guys that can create pressure in one on one matchups or one on two matchups. Even they want those guys to win up front and again have the coverage behind to support. And if they have a bias. They're going to drop that guy into coverage and say, we're not bringing extra guys. That shows up in the numbers. Um, also shows up in their sort of talent acquisition strategy. Like, okay, that means you got to have good rushers. You can't have average rushers and expect them to win and just sit back in coverage because eventually you'll get picked apart. Shifting gears a little bit to the offense and some of the numbers behind the offense and how they make things work. I was both... Uh, Surprised and not surprised by this because we knew they had a very diverse run game, right? Mm -hmm. Stefanski will dial up literally anything out of any personnel grouping. Yeah. One of my favorite run designers in the entire NFL. Oh, and, and the way he strings it together is it's art. Yeah. That being said, I didn't think that they were going to be last in the NFL on calling inside zone. It's 4%. Like they almost never call inside zone. They mostly call outside zone about a third of the time. Uh, they're 11th in the NFL at outside zone, but they also are second in pin and poles. Like they get these these really athletic linemen moving in space a lot. They're ninth in counter. They're third in power. These are all like tent pole run schemes that are very different from one another. Like some of them are gap schemes, some of them are zone schemes. They pretty much were just like inside zone's boring. We're not going to do that. We're going to replace that by getting Joel Batonio on the move in space to go crush some safety. And it's diverse, it's explosive, it's exciting. And you have to fit these types of runs very differently from one another. You fit outside zone way different than you fit counter, and then you fit power, that you fit G lead. And I think that's part of the reason why they're so good is because they're not just zone and they're not just gap. They're everything, everywhere, all at once. Yep. And I think a lot of people don't understand that when they're watching the Browns run game and I don't blame them it's really complex these are these are fine delineations but important ones because you are causing a defense to react a different way and it reminds me of you know a boxer that has a lot of different good punches and like a really strong jab and they're just crushing you mm -hmm. with the jab right and finally like you say, fine, and you bring your hands up and get to that side and you shift your head to the other side and here comes a left hook. And the left hook is really good too. Two totally different punches, but if you can go play to play that kind of variation and be really good at both of them, and that's hard to do. Like a lot of times you'll hear us talk, especially in pre-draft workups when we're looking at offensive linemen, like I think you'd you know, I think this line would work really well in a power gap scheme, a more man inside one on one basis. Doesn't mean he can't move. Doesn't mean he can't get to the outside and, and work outside zone. Or we say the opposite. They're doing those things in almost equal numbers and at a super high level of skill. Their offensive linemen have been really, really good while, be, be, while being asked to sort of handle one of the most diverse slates 
of any rushing offense in the league. That's like elite while doing the hardest tricks. It's the advantage of having Joel Batonio and Wyatt Teller. Yes. Like when you have two elite guards that can do anything. Right. Like you want them to reach, they can reach. Like you want them to blow people off the ball with a base block, they can do that. You want them to pull, you want them to wash people down with just pure power to make room for the other one to pull. They can locate in space. Like it's so unfair. Yes. To have a guard duo like that. And it's also very uncommon to have a guard duo like that. But they invest in that position on purpose because they can do all of that. Now, passing offense, this was, you know, kind of the wart on the team last year. And there was a bunch of different guys (laughs) throwing the ball for them. But overall play action percentage was lower than I expected at 21st, just considering the lineage of this offense. I thought it would be higher, but it it wasn't. I think that was kind of reflective of them being down sometimes and having to go into the gun and just throw and throw (laughs) and throw and throw. Um, Average time to throw, second, quote-unquote, slowest at about a little over three seconds. I think that was more reflective of all their quarterbacks being able to run a little bit and get out of trouble. Um, Air yardage percentage was really high, almost 57%. That was seventh in the league, meaning they the percentage of their passing offense that came through the air rather than after the catch was the seventh most in the league. They weren't super great after the catch. Uh, average depth of target, though, was about eighth. So it's very similar to kind of like what we were talking about with Minnesota, right? They, it's it, When they're getting chunks, it's through the air. It's not in the screen game. It's not in like quick passes that you're breaking a tackle and taking off. Like they kind of have to work hard to get their chunks through the air. Hopefully they can get better at that this year. And overall, that led to a very average yards per attempt at about 7.3. I think... Again, a lot of this hinges on if Deshaun is better this year because he wasn't good last year. And I don't think any Browns fan that's honest would tell you that he was good last year. He wasn't. If he improves this year and they get to at least being an average passing offense combined with a much improved defense and combined with an elite run game, this is a playoff team. But that's a big if. That's a weird bundle of stats in their passing game. Mm Because typically if you have a team that is, you know, seventh in percentage of air yards and eighth in average depth of target like they're getting it down the field and if you have a run game that's as good as the browns like your play action percentage would be much higher you're going to have those longer developing downfield shots and why wouldn't you you know fake the handoff to nick chubb and make the defense compress and bite on that and then take those longer shots but they didn't do that their play action percentage was really low but they were still chucking it down the field you know, by numbers. And I think the end result of that last year was the sort of disjointed result that you see on the field. You didn't see a cohesive pass game. And it was, to me, it was jarring because Mm -hmm. you'd see this beautiful, uh, we talked about it, well-orchestrated and beautifully called run game. And you'd be like, yeah. And they'd go to throw the ball. And it was like, <laughs> and you're like, ah, oh, it was just jarring the difference between running and passing for this team. Running looked like it normally does for them, which is diverse and awesome. And passing was just like, eh. It was ugly and disjointed. It's the and, trombone yeah, noise. Yeah. Wah, wah, wah. You know, it just wasn't great. And that is going to have to come up. Now, the good news is they have the tools to do that, right? They have talented players in those positions. It wasn't um, 
we've talked about a lot of teams in the series already where we say, look, they just didn't have the horses. They didn't have the players to support the system. They do have the players to support a very healthy and diverse passing game. They got to get it together, and it's a tough thing to orchestrate. We see a lot of teams struggle with that in the NFL every year, but they've got to get it done. It's the difference between on paper and on grass. On paper, yeah, they're, they have enough tools to make a good passing game. Can they do it? We'll see. Well, they have more than enough tools. You know how many receivers they have on the depth chart right now? Uh, 17. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the Oh, come on. <laughs> You're not surprised that I nailed that? The camp battle for, like, wide receiver seven yeah. is going to be insane. <laughs> they have so many, and then they drafted Tillman. They're like, eh, fuck it. Why not? Like, Ugh. it's uh, I, it's got to be the most in the league, at this time of year at least. It is a heavy rotation of pass catchers, and it is not just numbers. They're not just trying to throw numbers at the problem or, or throw things at the wall and see what sticks. Like, there's a lot of talent in that group. We were big fans of Tillman uh, pre-draft, uh, maybe even me a little bit more than you, but he joins a very talented rotation. It's not like he's a super talented rookie and he's automatically a shoe-in because they just didn't have anybody, which is the case on some teams. Uh-uh, not this one. It's just to list off some names. I'll go like 10 deep. I'll go like 10 deep and stuff. All right. They got Amari. They got DPJ, Elijah Moore, Tillman, as we mentioned. Marquise Goodwin's there. David Bell, who they just took, mm-hmm. is, last, uh, is there. Jakeem Grant's there. Anthony Schwartz, uh, Jalen Darden, uh, Michael Woods. Like, they could field two wide receiving cores out of that group. And, and two I, returning cores, too. I'd, I'd bet two of them get traded for something in preseason because there's just too many. It's totally possible. And if not, other teams will certainly be watching the Browns cast off at wide receiver if they are one of those teams that doesn't have a ton of talent in that room because that is that is not a problem the Browns suffer from. Now, the man that assembled said wide receiving core, Andrew Barry. We're, we're big fans of, of, uh, of Barry's work as well as Kevin Stefanski's relationship. Now, I will respectfully decline to comment on the ownership. Hmm. But the men under the owners, I'm very fond of. Well, it's a good thing in this series that we don't list the ownership. We're big fans of Andrew Barry. He's both the executive vice president of the Browns and the GM. He's done a tremendous amount of work to assemble this roster. We talked about how deep it is on several several units on defense, that they have all the offensive tools. They have one of the best offensive lines. That's a reflection of the work he's done. And Kevin Stefanski, we talked about his designing a run game, but say what you'd like, but he has kept this team together through some really interesting circumstances over his short tenure as head coach. Big fan of his work. I really like him in the head role. He seems to be suited not only to call certainly the rushing part of the offense, but that that CEO role over the team seems to suit him. Um, big fan of that hire. And, and for a long time, uh, head coaches of the Browns seem to be on – Rinse, lather, repeat. It was just a cycle. Um, seems like Stefanski's established some stability there, and this team really needed that. As far as coordinators go, we have another coordinator with an assistant head coach title, very popular in the NFL. It's a way to keep a coordinator without having to promote him, is give him the assistant head coach title. In this case, it's special teams coordinator, Boba Ventrone, with that title. The offensive coordinator, Alex Van Pelt, former University of Pittsburgh quarterback. Uh, who's had a lot of success and can design a very interesting pass game. So again, we have coaching, we have you know talent, we have former success in the pass game. All the all the tools are there, uh, and I think that's what you're leaning on to say they could be one of the best teams in the most competitive conference. And then defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz. 
<laughs> well known to many NFL fans, multiple stops, uh, calls an aggressive style of defense. If he wants a pass rush, uh, he can create it. He's done so in previous stops. Again, he's got raw materials with the Browns. We'll see how he sort of mixes and stirs to make that happen. But it's not like he can't. <laughs> it's not like he's some fresh-faced, green, wet-behind-the-ears defensive coordinator that doesn't know how to get to the quarterback. That's not the case at all. Yeah, it's a good staff, and it's a good leadership structure. Um, I mean, God, even their assistant coaches. Like, they got Stump Mitchell, that running One back. of my favorite, like, position coaches league-wide. He's amazing. Like, Bill Callahan's a legend. Like, that's part of the reason why their offensive line's so good. 45th year. I know. Dude, he's been coaching longer than Brady's been alive. He's been coaching longer <laughs> than you've been alive. By a lot. <laughs> By a bunch. No, very, very talented coach. He's a former head coach himself, and he's a position coach for you. Not even a coordinator. He's a position coach well, he for just, you. I mean, he could be a coordinator, but he just likes co coaching offensive line. Like, he's just going to stay that way forever. Which like, makes him the perfect add on staff. Like, super talented, likes his role, doesn't have visions of grandeur. Like, Callahan is an excellent addition. And on the defensive and special teams side, we've got Brandon Lynch coaching cornerbacks. He got the Lombardi Trophy as a player, uh, both on the Colts, 2006. We will not um, will not bring that up because they beat the Bears. <laughs> For no reason in particular. Yeah, and he also won a great cup uh, with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in 2007. So one of the few players that's won the top trophy in both the CFL and the NFL. Now that I think about it, on this laptop that I have right here, I have 2006 Colts All-22. I could probably throw up. Some, oh, I some, could probably some throw all up. 22 of Brandon Lynch right now. And I could probably throw up too. <laughs> yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait till you leave right. before I pull this up <laughs> just so you don't get fucking flashbacks. That being said, I also have the Devin Hester return I could throw up right now. Uh, you, so, know, you know, that'd be great. It's not like they won, but it's okay. It's okay. I'm not bitter. Uh, anyway, let's talk a little bit about that offensive core that we mentioned a few times here. Uh, Nick Chubb. From a fantasy perspective, he's going as RB6 right now, which seems fair. Um, I think a lot of that is is people not entirely all in on the Browns offense as a whole, not necessarily not all in on Nick Chubb, though he is kind of perennially one of the most underrated elite players in the league. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, Nick Chubb's great, too. And it's like, do you understand how good Nick Chubb is, though? You know, RB6 is like a little bit disrespectful, but I also understand why people are you know, a little bit, little it's, bit uh, it's nervous about the difference about the between fantasy and, and what we'll call real football. Yes. Uh, you know, because in fantasy, it is both player and situation. Like those things are almost equal, right? You can have a great player who's maybe not going to get a ton of touches because of scheme, uh, because of, you know, players around him or just touch distribution. You know, we have the classic touchdown stealers every year. That's a, that's a bigger thing in fantasy. Like those things hold equal uh, sort of sway, whereas in real football, situation matters a lot, but not quite as much um, in terms of, look, Nick Chubb is probably, arguably, the best running back in football. In fantasy, that's that's not enough. you got to have both. Or at least pure runner, maybe. Because yeah. yeah. some people are like, oh, if you count receiving ability, then it's CMC. And then, then we get into the weeds about yeah. styles. And no doubt about and that. Some people will put Debo on the top running back list. And, like, I wouldn't – disagree sure. but it's like do you count depot as a running back <laughs> or is he a receiver that plays running back i don't know it, it's, it's such a gray area it's just weapons right? nick chubb is a very very good football player 
RB6 is a pretty respectful place to be being picked. I would say it should be a little bit higher. I don't think you should go necessarily in the top slot, but, you know, are we going to split hairs over RB3 or RB6? Not really. It's still going in the first two rounds. Yep. Uh, the one that kind of confused me a little bit, though, was uh, Deshaun's going at QB9 right now, and I'm like, based on what? You know, because if we're just looking at tape last year, a lot of our projections are could, maybe, possibly. If. Not is. You know, we're talking about Jared Goff last week going like, like QB, was it QB 17 or 13 or something like that. I feel a lot safer about that than I do about Watson at QB 9. He's going 83 is his ADP right now. Like, I don't know. That's a little rich for my blood. He's not going to be on any of my teams, well, for multiple reasons, but like taking all that other stuff out, if I'm just looking at watching him on tape last year, he wasn't good. Yeah. And he's going as a top 10 quarterback right now. That's a little rich for me. Amari's going at wide receiver 18. Again, it's a could, it's a maybe, it's, it's a possible. De- it's dependent. But that also depends on how is Deshaun playing. Um, DPJ, though, and it's kind of interesting. There's like a, a huge shelf when it comes to Browns receivers, even though there's so many of them. Yeah. Uh, DPJ, considered by most pe- people to be the wide receiver too, there is wide receiver 70. Yeah. So we're talking about like a 52-pick difference between the top two receivers on the Browns. And it's like, okay, so we don't believe in DPJ because we have questions about Deshaun, but we do believe in Amari, and also we believe in Deshaun. The valuations for Browns players, my overall point here, is that they are all over the place. Yep. So don't even bother with the passing, guys, anything related to the passing offense. If you want to run it back early, take Nick Chubb because you know what you're getting. It's it's hitting you know a, a great ball right down the middle of the fairway. Yep. If you want a value hunt, go for Njoku. But in terms of quarterback and receivers, I'll believe it when I see it. And there's a bunch of other passing offenses that are less maybe possibly could and more so we know they will be good. Uh, I would rather be a little bit safer there. Stay away from the volatility. And and that's really what it comes down to is we can't sit here and tell you, no, no, go get this guy. We're sure because we're not sure. Yeah. And a lot of that hinges on the quarterback. It feels like on, on the one hand, people are trying to get out ahead of Watson having a bounce back season. And look, if he does, he could very easily live up to that valuation. If, because he is mobile, he can get yards with his legs. He's a very good passer. We've seen that earlier in his career, but we haven't seen it for a while. And we've never seen it in Cleveland with this offense in this group. Could he? Yeah. And it feels like people want him to get there. So they're like, no, no, I'm going to put my money down first. I'm going to be, I'm going to be early on that train. Um, whereas the other players, they're like, no, 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 no. I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait for that. Overall, when the difference between QB six and QB fifteen is somewhat negligible to begin with, mm-hmm. I would rather just invest hardcore in receiver and running back early, and then go get like Kirk or something later because he's again going in the teens for quarterbacks. Like, I don't know. It just, I don't get it. Doesn't make sense to me. Maybe that's my my old. Uh, curmudgeon-y, bitter Texans fan self, but I, I just don't get it. Could be, could be. <laughs> Regardless, uh, if you're a Browns fan and you do believe in all of these guys much more than I do, you know, the passing game, not particularly the run game, uh, if you do believe in them and, and you want to prove me wrong, again, feel free. Yeah. Promo code bootleg. They'll match your deposit. 
Go go make $15 million off my ignorance, please. I invite you to do so. And there's no wrong way to draft in fantasy. If you want to draft as a fan and you want to pick the entire Browns offense because you're the hardest core Browns fan there ever was and you're just going to ride or die that way, you know, if Brett's right, they're the best team in the league, you might win 15 million bucks. I, I have actually have gotten DMs from people that won their home league um, by drafting based off the Coleman curse, where anybody I was high on, they avoided, and anybody I was low on, they went all like that was uh it was a couple years ago when I was like, oh yeah, Iuke's the guy, and then Debo was an all pro and they won their league. Oh, well, that's an entirely different area of fantasy football that we'll skip. So I'm for just now. saying, like, if you just don't listen to me, you're probably gonna win. Anyway, I want that on tape. Uh, let's get into free agency losses, um, and these are these are less about losses and more so about um, reshuffling the deck to I think become a little bit more in alignment with their vision for the team. And some of these guys are still available, and it's possible mm-hmm. that maybe. They even have potential to come back to Cleveland. Um, well, I don't think Kareem's coming back. But, like, you know, Clowney maybe. It's possible. Clowney possibly could come back. You know, I don't know about uh, Ragland or Deion Jones, but, like, some of these guys could make their way back into Cleveland. Most of them are already in other destinations. Overall, though, I think that there wasn't any loss here, quote-unquote loss, that is crippling, that is irreplaceable, that is nothing, there was none of these losses that I think were not expected and accepted by Cleveland. I would say the two largest ones that, again, were somewhat expected, and again, one of them could return. It's Jadavian Clowney and Kareem Hunt. And they knew for the last several years, in one way or another, that Kareem Hunt was going to move on. They're not going to get rid of Nick Chubb as long as he stayed healthy. They kept Kareem Hunt around for insurance and very good production in the RB2 role for as long as they could. And they knew that that was eventually going to not happen Uh, for money reasons, for durability reasons, any other number of reasons. He's still out there. Like you said, I doubt he comes back just because of that experience. It was frustrating for him. He was looking for new money in his contract. Clowney, on the other hand, still out there, familiar with the defense, could add something, could be a value. The longer they wait, the cheaper he'll be. Um, those two guys are unsigned and probably the biggest names. The others are really not hardcore losses in terms of their percentage of plays. Dearness Johnson moves on. Again, that was a tremendous value player we really liked in their RB3 role, but in any other team, he was at least RB2. And on a bunch of teams, he was good enough to start. Um, Jaguars sign up and you know bring him into their backfield. Speaking of super deep backfields that you can't figure out, yeah, Jacksonville. <laughs> Not saying you should grab him in fantasy. I'm saying good for Jacksonville for grabbing a good football player. Um, Taven Bryant, Jacoby Brissett. The guard, Froholt, goes to the Cardinals. You know, he ended up playing 50% of the snaps last year. That was more in fill-in roles. Uh, none of these things are earth-shaking. Like you said, none of them are like, oh, we didn't. We thought we were going to be able to sign him to a big contract, and there was, a, there was a snag, and now he's gone, and we've got this gaping hole. There's none of that. And again, that speaks to, you know, Barry's leadership and, you know, plan. Every GM has to have a plan for succession within their team whether it's guys pricing out, aging out, uh, not working out in terms of skill or fit with coaches that come in. And this feels very much like, yep, you did your role, whether it was a one-year role or multi-year contract, we're not going to bring you back, but guess what? We've got a plan for what we're going to do instead. 
In terms of uh, retentions, they kept pretty much their entire linebacking core together. Anthony Walker's brought back. Sione Takitaki's brought back. Uh, Thomas Graham Jr., favorite of, of EJ, also brought back. A.J. Green, the corner, not the receiver. The receiver yeah. retired. <laughs> Uh, he's back once again, and then Jakeem Grant, you know, thrown into the wide receiver Thunderdome there, and we'll we'll see if he makes the the team. I don't think he will. Just because if he does, so it'll many. be on return specialty, and that's that's it, right? Yeah. Um, now that being said, they were not a good yak team last year, and he's one of their guys on paper that should be a yak threat. So maybe he makes it because of that. Either way, uh, you know, nothing crazy with the retentions. But the third-party additions is where they spent most of their money. Juan Thornhill they got for, I thought, a pretty decent value at $7 million. Yep. Uh, Rodney McLeod they also brought in just to make their safety safety core even more uh, deep and resilient. Elijah Moore they acquired in a pretty cheap trade with the Jets. Uh, Buddy Ronquo, productive edge with the Texans last year, brought him in on a relatively manageable uh, you know, six point something million dollar deal. I want a relatively manageable six point million dollar oh, deal. Oh, I would love it. I would love it. I think it. I could relatively manage that relatively managed deal. I would rather have Dalvin Tomlinson's deal, though. $14.2 million, which in the current defensive tackle market, uh, keep in mind uh, yesterday, I think it was, That's Ed correct. Oliver signed his deal, which came out to like 15-something Yeah, 15 and change. Uh, I'd rather have Dalvin at four point two five. Like That seems like a great deal given the current defensive tackle market, especially because we're recording this before Dexter Lawrence eventually yep. gets a monster deal, before Quinn and Williams gets a monster deal, Jeffrey Simmons, Christian Wilkins, like the defensive tackle market's about to be, ugh. <laughs> like yeah. it's earth-shattering money is coming. Yeah, that's So getting Bills Dalvin getting, now is great. Yeah, it's the Bills getting out in front of it. Dalvin's the Browns getting out in front of it. Um, you know, and the good news is if you want that $14 million deal, all we have to do is like tape two of you together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Teach you how to play defensive tackle and you'd be in the running. Yeah, he's only a little bit bigger than me. Just a wee bit. Uh, they also picked up uh, Zadarius Smith in a trade with the Vikings, um, you know, giving giving them a bigger body edge uh, that is both an ass kicker against the run and a very good pass rusher when he's healthy. For sure. That, that has been a thing with him and somebody who's very comfortable in this type of system that I think they're trying to build. So overall, yeah, they, they did a lot of work in free agency. I don't know what the hell they're going to do with the cap next year. <laughs> well, I have some ideas what they're going to do with the cap next year, and it, it involves some weird void year stuff with Deshaun but they kind of gotta win now like they really do or it's gonna get pretty tight yeah if they don't win this year with those charges looming next year we could see a Rams like year what the Rams are doing in 2023 for the Browns yeah. next year I, I don't that's the thing is I was like I don't even know if they can do what the Rams are doing just because the Deshaun deal is so yeah, it'd be Deshaun and the fifty so other guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's it's a gamble, but at the same time, I respect them saying like, "Screw it! Like, if we're going to do this, we're going to go for a ring." And and they have made every move possible to try to get a ring right now. Um, now their draft, I wouldn't say was the flashiest. It was more filling in minor areas of need. You know, depth, getting depth where they thought they needed depth. It wasn't any like huge, oh my God, value additions. But I also thought they made a lot of smart, reasonable value moves to kind of just keep filling out the roster and and giving them some young guys to develop. 
Yeah, there's two competing forces when you're drafting. One is need. We talked about all the numbers that they assembled last year and where they were good and where they were deficient, and that pretty much defines your need. You fill as much of that in as you can with all the free agency dollars we talked about, and that leaves your remaining needs. That's one thing you enter the draft with. And then the other one is value. The, oh, my God, that guy's still there? Like, we love that guy. Do we really need him? No, but he's better than anybody else we need. And those two things kind of, ideally, they work in concert, but a lot of times they fight. Mm-hmm. And you just have to make a choice. Hey, is the value too much to just resist and we're going to grab that? Or do we really need this so badly and we're already through free agency and we don't think there's another reasonable way to fill it? We got to kind of bite the bullet and take a player that's lower on our board, but much higher in our need hierarchy. And I feel like their first pick, round three, pick 74, Cedric Tillman was the value thing. They got to round three and went, man, this guy was projected mid-round two. We're in you know, the top of round three. He's really talented. Do we need him? No, we just talked about how loaded their wide receiver room is, but they were like a really good football player, and we thought he'd already be gone. We're, we're just going to take him. So they start off the draft there. It's a strong start for them. Also in round three, then they swing back to, yeah, but we got a need. We got to stop the run. And it may not be the highest value pick we have, but the guy fits our program and he can do what we need. And that's the defensive tackle out of Baylor, Siaki Ika, who is the human version of a tractor trailer. (laughs) And, you know, so it's, it's this pendulum between, oh, man, I really want that shiny thing, and that's just really cool, and, oh, we got to get a guy in the middle of our defense so that we don't end up 30th again against the run. Um, round four, they come back and pick 111 and get another massive human being, tackled Dewan Jones out of Ohio State. Not many guys with a frame like that on the planet. Had some good flashes, is developmental, but if you're talking about a developmental lineman with tools going to a great landing spot, Go work with Bill Callahan and oh, the Browns. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Couldn't possibly be better for Dewan Jones. Wouldn't be at all surprised if a year or two from now he is their you know, absolute anchor at right tackle and doesn't go anywhere for a long time. Yeah, they're, they're hoping that if they need to move on from Conklin, yep. they're hoping they can get Jones in a place where he's ready to go by then. And I think the chances of that are pretty good. Round four. Uh, Pick 126, they come back to one of the players that I really like and was one of the featured players in that conversation we had with Matt Bowen, Edge, Isaiah McGuire out of Missouri. He is going to, in my perfect world, sit right behind Zedarius Smith and go, tell me what you know, Obi-Wan, because he's a very similar player physically coming out to the way Zedarius was. Zedarius has developed and continued to develop as a pro and develop his range of skills in a way that Isaiah McGuire hopes he can, and he has a lot of athletic tools. I liked him a lot. I thought that was a great both need and value pick coming together in round four. Round five, one of our favorites at 140, quarterback Dorian Thompson Robinson out of UCLA that was the one I was like "Ooh, yeah there's the value and yeah. that's a natural fit we both saw that one and went man you know if Deshaun goes down or just plays horribly and they want to try something else here's a quarterback with a similar skill set not saying he's the same guy but we both thought he was better than his perceived value in the draft We like his upside. We like his ability to sort of continually churn and get a little bit better every year. If that sounds familiar, it's the same thing we said about Jalen Hurts when he was coming out is that he just keeps improving. DTR, same way. 
Round five, pick 142. They get Cameron Mitchell out of Northwestern, who's a player I got to late in the process. Actually had more hype the year before, didn't come out, went back. Is incredibly solid. Is just, and this feels very much more like the value thing. They look at round five and they go, he's still there? Mm -hmm. Man, we got his teammate a couple of years ago. Like, we can just throw him in the mix and he doesn't have to play right away. He's super talented. Um, As we have attrition at those defensive back spots in general, wouldn't it be nice to have a guy like Cameron Mitchell, who's super solid, to just slot into that rotation? They grab him. And then round six, I think this is one of the biggest value picks of the draft, not of the Cleveland draft, but Luke Weipler, the center out of Ohio State at 190. That was such a Callahan pick. It's a great Cal- it's a great Callahan pick, but I really thought that Weipler was probably a fourth round prospect on my board ish yeah yeah like i would have been comfortable anytime after like the mid fourth and and he was there in the mid fifth i was there in the sixth and i was like and the browns go and get him and again you're like okay so you got two guys from ohio state who were both ranked very draftable players on my board and a year and a half from now two years from now they're probably both have the ability to start right if you have to move on from higher price veterans or you suffer an injury and you're not going to skip a beat and to me it felt like, again, like you said, not the sexiest, not the flashiest draft, and it did sort of pendulum back and forth between need and want, but a solid group of players. You can see the fit for all of them. There was no like, huh? What are you doing? I don't have any complaints about literally nope. any of these picks. Nope. It was just very, very solid right down the middle of the fairway. Yeah, really strong process. Uh, their UDFA class also was really intriguing. Uh, the I mean, Ronnie Hickman, by the way, mm-hmm. I had a higher grade on Hickman than... Cam Mitchell, um, like if you told me that Hickman went before Mitchell, I would have not that they played the same spot, but in terms of like overall where I thought they were going to go, like I thought Hickman was going to go ahead of him and they got him as a UDFA. Like he's such a good safety. Yeah. He's so, so good. He was, he was one of my favorite, like under the radar safeties in this class. Um, super great tackler in space, really, really tough, great against the run. Um, not like the most explosive mover, but he can survive for them. And again, for a system that we think they want to play a lot of quarters and be able to stop the run from quarters, like he does that. <laughs> yes. He's a freaking missile. Uh, Charlie Thomas, you know, he was getting a lot of hype before the draft. I didn't, I honestly didn't see it with him. Uh, I like him. I know. He's a very divisive prospect. I I wasn't a huge Charlie Thomas guy. He's another one of these like real, real small, like, stick thin linebackers that's been coming out lately i'd stick him behind jok same as i'd stick isaiah mcguire behind zadarius and be like go do do everything that he can do you can't do everything he can do but god no he can't but do everything he can do and and try and add to the skill set until you can get close to him and i i really like his athleticism i like his aggression he's got very good speed I just, I really like Charlie Thomas. And see, you and I are flipped because out of the two UDFA linebackers they got, uh, Mo Diabede from Utah was the one that I was more excited about. And also another one that I was like, he went undrafted, really? But again, another one of those just human missiles of an athlete, just completely rocked up, really, really explosive. In coverage, he has a long way to go. 
Uh, he's got to learn. But targeting computers a little bit screwy on that one. But boy, his tools are yeah, just Yeah, when he lines up and hits it, it's amazing. And if they can, again, get him to slow down a tick in processing and, and line it up right every time, yeah, he's got great physical skills. I just saw more out of Charlie Thomas in terms of versatility and, and getting it right in terms of where he needed to be. Uh, and a similar level of physicality. He's not as rough uh, as DiBiate. Lonnie Phelps is another guy at the edge for Kansas. Really liked him. I, I, we got to see a little bit of him at All Star game and um, didn't get a lot of buzz. And he's got a, he's got a weird physical profile. Well, right? it's such a deep edge class that I, I kind of figured he was going to be one of the ones that slipped through, and he, and he was. But mm-hmm. like, if you told me that he got drafted, I wouldn't have blinked an eye. Yeah, he come in, scoop him up for free, and and that's what UDFA is really for. And I think the Browns and you know Andrew Barry's staff did a really good job getting a little bit of extra talent on top of what was a little bit smaller class, but a really focus class we talked about fit and need you know you come in and get three four players out of that udfa class that have a shot that's that's all just free talent wrapping it up here uh with the final report card this is a a visual summary of uh the progress for these teams moving from 2022 to 2023 Um, obviously up is good down is bad even is fine even is not negative. Even steady as, as she goes. Steady as she goes. Uh, and we do this for four categories for every team. Front office, coaching, offense, defense. We put even for front office. We put even for coaching. We put even for offense. Again, that is not a negative. It's just acknowledging like either A, we are stable in the leadership structure, or B, we're not sure yet about the quarterback situation, but the offense is not going to be worse than last year. It could potentially be better, but it's not going to be worse, so we're just going to give it even for now. But the defense, we give a huge arrow up because, again, as we talked about before, they fixed a lot of their issues uh, personnel-wise in order to run the system that we think they want to run, that over multiple coordinators now they have tried to run, and we we think we know what they want to do, uh, but now they actually have beef in the middle to be able to do it. So the defense should be better, and that's a big reason why when we get into ceiling and floor for win total, you and I each have a different ceiling and floor here. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> My ceiling for them is 12 wins because I acknowledge that the defense could be way, way better. And the 12th win there is allowing for the possibility of a bounce back here for Deshaun Watson. That being said, my floor is seven because it's also allowing for the possibility of Deshaun still plays like ass. And in the AFC, if there is a massive quarterback disadvantage from one team over the other, you're not going to win that many games. So it's just a, it's an acknowledgement of the range of possibilities here which is really a reflection of the quarterback situation, which is something we just haven't quite figured out yet. They could be an elite team. They could be a painfully mid-team solely because of how the quarterback plays. Yeah, my ceiling is nine, and it is not saying that Deshaun Watson won't play well, very much better than he did. He could, and they could still win nine. There's two things there. One is division. Talked about it at the top. It's a street fight every year. They're going to knock the living piss out of each other, and they're going to lose a couple games that they probably, quote-unquote, should have won on paper just because AFC North. Mm-hmm. The other one is conference. <laughs> the AFC is loaded. If they get out of their division with any kind of health, 
they've got to play the other superpowers in the NFL right now. So nine wins feels like things could go well and they could win nine games. They are counting on a lot of moving pieces to get better. Deshaun has to get better. The passing game has to gel in a way that it just didn't last year. And it wasn't all on the quarterback. The running game, we expect to be good again. We talked about that. Defense, yeah, they've plugged those holes. And yeah, they have some, you know, a little bit different coordination. And we think that they're going to fix those holes. But just assuming they're going to jump from 30th up to 15th or 10th is a is a massive everything has to go right. So I think some of those things will go right, maybe even most, and they could still be below double-digit wins because they play in one of the toughest divisions and they play in the toughest conference. Floor six, and that is Deshaun plays terribly. You end up with a rookie at quarterback. You're sort of right back where you were last year on offense. Defensive, you know, makes an improvement, but not as big a jump as you thought they might. They still end up, you know, maybe 20th instead of 30th against the runs and teams are just keeping them on the field too long and you end up with a very similar season to last year looking at their opponents in the schedule they play against the AFC South which we expect to be a tougher division this year the Texans are a lot better we'll get to them at some point uh, in this series and they're going on the road to Houston by the way which is the most hostile environment Deshaun will face yep. for the rest of his career is going to be Houston the Jags are a good team the Colts we think are going to be a way better team you know, maybe they'll get closer to living up to the lofty expectations we had last year. They also play the NFC West, so they got to uh, go uh, on the road to Seattle. They got to deal with the Niners coming to town, um, not to mention playing their own division. They don't really get a whole lot of easy games. I mean, even their AFC East opponents, the Jets, and the Jets just got Aaron Rodgers and also have a loaded roster, too. So I fully acknowledge the schedule is like not in their favor. Here. No, no. Um, but. I think that that saying that they are a firm wild card contender is not that crazy of a statement. I think they could easily make a push for a wild card spot. And some people might say, "How with nine wins? You said nine was their ceiling." I think they could still do it. Yeah, I mean, seventh seed isn't unattainable with nine wins. Now it kind of requires the rest of the AFC to also beat the crap out of each other for that ninth win to, to have more weight to it. But it's like every year we see it like a nine and nine and what is it, nine and eight team now that's like going into the last week and they have a shot and they just got to get one more win. Like they can put themselves in that position where it's winning in in the end. And I think that's all Browns fans really want. Um, now, tomorrow we're going to be hitting the Steelers, which got the Steelers hype train. <laughs> has already left the station. Kenny Pickett is a god to them, and we will address everything about the, uh, the, the Kenny Pickett debate tomorrow. And then we're hitting what, Ravens after that, then Bengals, then the AFC North wrap-up, and then we are moving down to uh, the Southern Divisions, I think. Right? No, we're going oh, no, we're going West. NFC West. Yes. So that'll be a lot of fun as well. But we got a lot more for the AFC North fans. If we have suitably fired you up as a Browns fan or any other fan, uh, head over to our partner, our clothing partner, Homage Clothing. Check out their full NFL line of tees, sweatshirts. They have 20 or 30 designs for each team, so there'll be something there that tickles your fancy. And if you use the code down in the description, it helps support the podcast with every purchase. Yeah, we get a, we get a little bit of a little chunk of every single uh, purchase you guys make, so it literally does directly help us. Uh, but with that, we'll be back tomorrow to talk a little bit of Steelers. And until then, later.
Take care.